All right, welcome to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 16 here on December 23rd, a couple of days before the most wonderful day of Christmas. I am your co-host, Tom Pyle, and... And I'm Mike McKenna, and you know, somehow it feels like it's just episode six, so... Well, we've made it this far, my friend. We've made it this far. And what we have also witnessed is one of the largest pieces of legislation ever cobbled together. The Corona bus, the wisdom of the United States Congress uh, decided to put together 5,000 pages of pent-up anxiety and desire to spend a whole lot of our money on the eve of President Trump's term um, and basically dared him to pass legislation that embodies every single element, in my view, that has been wrong with Congress. Um, And one of the main reasons, quite frankly, that President Trump probably won his re-election so we can talk about what's in it how we got here and maybe what we think will happen in the next few days before uh the 28th which is the day that the congress extended the continuing resolution to keep the government funded yeah Um, where do you want to start mr mckenna i want to start with my with my new best friend congresswoman ocasio cortez who pointed out right at the jump that they had gotten this thing um, like the night before and it was 5,200 pages or 5,700 pages or whatever the hell it was. And, um, and that they could, no way any human being could possibly read this. And it, the, the close on her tweet was, this isn't legislating, it's hostage taking. And the funny thing is Rand Paul basically sent out the same um, tweet, right? And the difference is, of course, she voted for it and Rand voted against it. But the, the but she did vote against the rule. She voted against the rule. We'll get to the rule in a second, yes. right? That's a, that's a totally separate deal. But so um, the thing's an abomination. And the funny thing is, we're, as we go into the next week or so, where the president's going to veto the thing, and we're going to have lots of backs and forths about this is terrible, blah 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 blah. He's conflating the omnibus with the stimulus, and like. Hey man, if you didn't want people to conflate the two, you probably shouldn't have stapled them together. And and that, you know, the the non-energy bill of 2020, right? Don't forget that. Yeah, well, they stapled the a whole bunch together uh and and basically 5,000 pages of text. Let me read um Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez's tweet for everybody. Congress is expected to vote on the second largest bill in U.S. history today, this was December 21st, $2.5 trillion. And as of about 1 p.m., members didn't even have the legislative text of it yet. It's not good enough to hear about what's in the bill. Members of Congress need to see and read the bills we are expected to vote on. Um, look, I she's, see... She's right. I, I absolutely agree. I, I see the um, potential coalition forming here. Um, uh, I think that the... As you mentioned, uh, Rush Limbaugh, God, God bless him, took uh, an exorbitant amount of his show yesterday reading out, ticking off some of the things that are in this monstrosity. And uh, 
I, I just think that, uh, you know, the, the, the incoming Freedom Caucus, which I think is even more hardened than previous iter iterations of the Freedom Caucus, uh, I see a coalition here with the majority in the Congress as narrow as it is. Four or five progressives, four or five hardcore. Yeah, the process. Uh, yeah, a, a process-based coalition that you, 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 you know, we've been barking. I've been barking, especially in my columns for a while about, um, you know, legislating is vanishing, right? And you, you know this better than anybody, right? You, you worked for a whip, so. Um, I could definitely see a process coalition where like, look, we're not, we're never going to vote for a rule again that um, for which the underlying bill was given to us at the last minute, right? That did not go through regular order. And truthfully, they shouldn't vote for rules on bills like this. It, 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 what I don't get, and maybe I give members too much credit, um, you know, if you really, if you're really worried about the political repercussions of voting against the bill, the simple thing to do is vote against the rule, right? Scuttle, scuttle the bill that way. Um, and, and, you know, nobody seems to want to do that. It, it's, it's a huge problem. And, and, you know, the thing you're right about one thing. Um, it's like Trump wasn't even here. Yeah. That's, that's, well, in part, it's because they were completely off the board. I mean, they, they've got one guy, a, a Democrat from Wall Street negotiating yeah. on their behalf. So I yeah. in part blame Trump for not paying attention to this for whatever reason, but now uh, his video message yesterday said, and he ticked off some of the atrocities in the legislation as well. He may veto it, which may force them, these guys to work over Christmas to either override or clean it up in some oh, way, shape uh, or form. More power to him. I think he should. I absolutely think he should oh, veto I, 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 this I think he's gonna, dog. I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna veto it. And, um, this is the first act of his post-presidential career, right? He's, and it's a perfect thing to do, right? Because it, it sets him directly in opposition to the swamp. So just one other thought, right? I mean, there's a bunch of different thoughts about this thing, but one other thought before I forget about it, right? In addition to a process coalition, we are stumbling towards a um, direct action coalition, right? The president calling for 2000 bucks, he probably should have called for 3000 bucks is a, you know, Andrew Yang, the White House will never acknowledge this, but in the original direct payment in the CARES Act was affected by Andrew Yang, Andrew Yang's idea of giving money. And in those conversations, I can tell you that um, lots of people are like, why are we empowering federal bureaucracies? Why don't we just give the money to people directly? Um, in this thing, um, Limbaugh and Tucker Carlson in his show actually went through the math and said, okay, you want to spend $900 billion? Just give every American $3,000 and declare victory. Instead of giving every American 600 bucks and then giving a 2,400 other dollars to bureaucracies to dole out. Now, congressmen are going to resist that because their power is associated with that extra 2,400 bucks. But I could also see a direct action coalition coming together where, you know, Andrew Yang, has got himself a point, right? I don't agree with all of it, but if you're asking like the best way to spend the money, whether to strain it through three different bureaucracies, federal, state, and local, or just to give it to people. Well, yeah. They did, it, you know, it's simple. You get there quick, right? Well, yeah, but that that's the whole point of our, uh, you know, all this garbage about carbon taxes too. You're sending 
a dollar to Washington, 30 cents is going back. It's the other 70 cents gets absorbed in the process, period. And that's that's pretty much with all taxation. Yeah, well, I mean, the, not you just know, the- on all the programs. Let me say that um, I saw this little blurb. I want to read it. Cong- this was from Politico's, one of their morning reports. Congress has held 22 lame duck sessions since dates of congressional terms were changed in the early 1930s. From the first modern lame duck session in 1940 to 1998, the sessions occurred sporadically. This is from CRS, quote, a quote from CRS. Yeah. Beginning in 2000, both houses of Congress have held a lame duck session following every election. These guys are, the, we have said this before, as a, as a creature of the house, uh, as a house guy and leadership and everything else, this is an atrocity what is going on and enough people as you said enough people on in who see the world the way i see the world and enough people who see the world the way the aocs of the world see the world have got to come together and force this institution to get back to basics because first of all we can't win we never win our issues and our ideas never win the the left has to have crises. They have to have massive pieces of legislation that we have to pass it first before we know what's in it in order to get their stuff through. It's it's tried and true every single time. And the Republicans go along for the ride, just like they did in this in this monstrosity that we're yeah. we're we're in the middle of right now. Yeah, it, my it, rant, but I'm done. I mean, no, I, no, I think oh, I think it's, it's. I am so done with this business. These people are corrupt. I think it's great insight, right? And the thing, the thing that unifies both the process and the Andrew Yang, Donald Trump coalition. <laughs> think about that for a second. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> Here we they, go. They get to the same place, right? I mean, um, I'll tell you, we've we've had this we've had this conversation. Bernie and Trump are like are closer than everybody thinks. Absolutely, their 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 critiques of the system are 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 very similar, and their remedies are different. But you know that the the let's call it the direct action coalition, right, or the direct democracy coalition. You know, you think about AOC and the Squad and the Freedom Caucus and Yang and Trump. What they all have in common is is that they want to bring this enterprise into the 21st century, right? They look at the great big giant federal bureaucracy and the incredibly arcane and pointless federal processes. And they're like, this, you know, over the last 50 years, technology, um, computerization, digitalization has swept through American industry and changed it. That, you know, last century mechanization swept through agriculture and changed it. And, you know, something's going to change the federal government and, and it might be Yang and Trump. So, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting in a way, but you, when you watch the end product of, um, of the current system, it's hard not to be depressed. It's hard not to conclude that Georgia doesn't matter. Just vote for whoever the hell you want. Cause you know, it, it, how, 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 how are they going to, you know, how are they going to prevent, or produce something other than what they just produced. Absolutely. And you'll have a White House that wants more of this. I mean, Joe Biden's team 
has already said that this is a this is just the beginning. This is a down payment. Um, yeah, they're already talking about uh, another round in the in the first. I know. That's tremendously interesting. You know, I saw that, and I mean, it wasn't like they waited a week. You know, they right away, Dave. You know, their 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 statements after the thing passed was like, "Hey, this is a great down payment, and we're going right after it again." And this is what I have sort of been expecting, right? I expected an infrastructure thing and a climate thing right out of the gate, um, and now we're going to get another request for another trillion dollar whatever, right? Um, I think the Biden administration is going to be in real trouble right right away. Even even if they win both of those Georgia seats, even if the Democrats win both of those Georgia seats, you're essentially asking every moderate Democrat to walk the plank for you right away. And that's just they might, but it burns all your it burns all your um, ammunition immediately, right? The, I'm now convinced that the Biden folks are going to be. Um, out of gas, probably six months in, maybe maybe eight or ten months in, but not more than that, right? It, yeah, it, well, it was it was an odd thing to commit to, right? They should have just not, not said anything. Yeah, well, they, I mean, they can't help themselves, right? It's like, uh, wait, I, wait, wait, don't do all the spending now. We got to do some of our own. But the only thing that I could possibly imagine that good could come out of this if at the end of the day this is the garbage that ends up getting uh becoming law is that theoretically the republican senators are going to have an excuse now to like say we don't need to do any of that stuff because we just did all that stuff and they'll also all of a sudden and we've talked about this have this incredible appetite now to start getting getting control over spending yeah right? Yeah. It's, the, it's the cycle, right? It's like the same cycle. It's like, do all this. We got to clear the decks. You know, we got to, we just got to start fresh and blah, blah, blah. And basically like just blow a hole in the deficit and then come back and tell us conservatives and free market types. Well, no, you know, we, we're, we we see the light here. We, we got spending. <laughs> we're terrible. What's going on? We're, we're, we're with you. Despite years of profligacy, we're with you. The, I want to give one particular shout out um, to to somebody who is in cycle um, and is going to have a tough uh, reelect and did the right thing and voted against this bill. And I don't want him to get lost in the chaff. Um, Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, right? He wound up voting against this thing. And I think there uh, were six senators who voted. There were six, right? He was one of them. And, and you know, that was... Um, good and brave and straightforward and in keeping with his principles. And um, he should, he should win reelection on this vote alone, even if he wasn't a, a, just a really solid guy. Anyway, I was hugely I, impressed by that. I have always said, these are not easy States. These are his state isn't easy, but I have always said, if you're a politician, yeah. Susan Collins is probably another good example. Ironically, if you just stick to your guns Hey man, do your thing and do your thing instead of all this hemming and hawing and angling and wishy and washy and all that other garbage. Yeah. People respect that. Like, I think so. See through the, 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 the illusion, um, uh, you know, maybe we'll see, but I, no, I'm telling you right I, I now, I think so. This, this put me over the, over the top. Uh, I mean, I love what I'm doing with my energy think tank, but we have to add another component to this. And maybe you're onto something. We have to form 
a coalition of conservative thinkers and progressives, whoever, to start pu pushing back against this system and the way that the system works. And so the more AOC tweets about this, the better. Thank, yeah. thank, thankfully. Yeah. So, so, so um, I would be remiss in my relentless drive um, at self-promotion if I didn't point out that uh, my friends in the Washington Times, um, with my assistance, um, have run a couple of essays on this in their To the Republic um, special project, right, about we need to repower the legislative branch in some important way, right? They, they, these monstrosities are not good. They're not good for the Republic. They're not good for Congress. They're not good for anybody. They're just not good. No, uh, unless yeah. unless unless you're the Egyptian military, you get a billion dollars, which I know is in the omnibus. I don't want to get any, you know, don't at no. me, but it's still ridiculous to give a billion dollars. No, first of all, the conflation thing. I don't care. Yeah. Why I should do not I? care. Well, the American I... people got 600 bucks a piece after a year of being told to shut up and stay home. And they don't conflate they're 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 not going oh well i guess you're right maybe you know title one and title <laughs> two are completely different things garbage <laughs> utter garbage well, i hope you people realize and they are they're like oh yeah thank you for my month and a half of rent abatement while you I, give I, you know billions of dollars to study down to trees and okay, in all, in all fairness, um, the great thing about this is, is that there must be hundreds of thousands of American citizens who are getting sensitized to the ridiculousness of what the federal government spends. And that's something that I've always wondered, if you could just take them through the budget and say, here's what you're actually buying, right? Um, I think people would be outraged. And the great thing is, guys like Limbaugh and Tucker, they're doing it. And everyone's like, you're conflating it. And I'm like, I want to see the first politician who goes out there and says, well, you know, I know you're pissed, but you're really conflating two different no, you things. You already did. Lindsey Graham, go, go look the footage. He tried to like explain to people <laughs> that the Pakistan thing was really important. And he got shellacked on Twitter. I mean, these guys are like, you know, it's like they, they, they have no idea. I'm telling you, the next Trump is coming. And he or she is going to be better at it than the boss. And it's going to be terrifying because the next person's going to know something about government. Yeah. And this thing is, they are going to go through this like a side. So I don't want to um, declare total and complete loss, but this energy section uh, of the, of the legislation is about as bad as it could have gotten. Um, the, the, the wind industry who, who, said oh no we we compete now we don't have to you know we're the lowest cost electricity provider we're we're in mainstream baby got another year extension on their billion dollar boondoggle known as the ptc got a five-year um extension for offshore wind which there i don't think there has even been an offshore wind project that has gotten off the ground yet um and uh, the, the the solar guys got two additional years for their uh, investment tax credit. The justification for the two years was, well, they didn't get their one year last year. <laughs> so 
So they get two years and the wind guys get one out of all of this. And then of course the monstrosity known as the Murkowski energy, something or other act policy um, act, energy, energy policy act. act. That, that's how, that's how sad it was. They couldn't even just say, Hey, energy, energy, you know, supremacy act or energy dominance act or yeah. energy. We're killing it act. It's like, en- yeah, the energy policy act, the energy empower the bureaucracy act. Um, the uh, uh, the language that we railed against, uh, making it a goal for 100% clean energy, made it in there. Everything pretty much made it in there. And the, and the tragedy is, is that this is another example of how ridiculous Congress is. When a senator either leaves town or gets off a committee, they got to have their legacy. Oh, we need a legacy. Uh, we need to, you know, she needs a legacy legislation. You know, and that was a motivator for for this energy title. So really, really bad piece of legislation. It's unfortunate that uh, President Trump was pretty much off the board until now. Maybe he'll veto it. I don't know for sure. You you seem more confident than me. You might know something I don't, having formerly been wandering the halls of the West Wing. But um, they'll override it. I just hope that they have to come back and do do a little bit of work so yeah i mean that's a, he's definitely going to veto it right because it's gonna it's gonna um it's gonna let him talk about it for 10 or 12 more days right and and that i mean it gins up the base and the 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 thing with the energy policy act right the left is selling it as the greatest climate change bill in the history of mankind um yeah I, whatever i mean if that's the case it's it's not everyone something. uh well, I mean, that's the general pitch was they all put out press releases saying this is a great testament to bipartisan climate change, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, OK, a couple of things. Right. One is the fact that it couldn't travel on its own tells you just exactly how bipartisan it was. And then the, the second thing is this is some of the most the thinnest gruel possible on climate change. Right. If if this is the greatest win in the history of climate change after uh, 30 years of going after it. Um, the, the, they might want to rethink how they're spending their money because this thing is a um, anodyne, um, mostly pointless, mostly um, ineffectual way to do anything, right? I mean, it's, it, you know, reorients the Department of Energy's research and development. You know, I got I, that, that came out a couple of times. I just started laughing. I'm thinking to myself, any anybody who actually thinks that doesn't know anything about the Department of Energy and how the labs actually work, right? Um, so it, it's a big bag of um, mostly nothing, and what's in there that is something is offensive. I will say this that I think is interesting, right? Keep in mind that the um, the wind um, tax credit, right? Wind production tax credit. Um, getting that and the solar investment tax credit on a phase down um, was uh, part of the deal uh, back in 2015. And that's now been voided essentially. Right. Of course. Is, and we said that the day that it passed. Yeah. Which, which as I, which as I pointed out a couple of weeks back um, should teach everybody that you can't actually make deals with these folks. Cause they're just, their, their appetite is, endless or appetite for for the grift is endless well i'll tell you this too senator chuck grassley yes is as close to don vito corleone 
<laughs> in the United States Senate. He is. That's than, true. That there is. That's uh, true. I mean, the 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 level to which he has uh, distorted energy markets in this country is astonishing to me. If you combine the RFS garbage, the biofuel stuff, and this wind and solar business, particularly the wind stuff for him. And as you have had firsthand experience, his methods, you know, uh, uh, you know, rural country gentleman, no, not a rural country gentleman at all. He is, um, other than McConnell, he's probably the most effective senator I've seen in my lifetime. Um, McConnell, maybe Inhofe, right? Um, but those three are not just a little bit more good at leveraging their power than everybody else. They're a lot better. And like I said, I, I've only been lurking around the Senate for 40 years, so I don't have a long history. But those guys are, like I said, McConnell and Grassley are like pretty much one, two, and, and Inhofe, I think, three. And then everybody else is like 10. So you've been lobbying since you were 10 years old? <laughs> Come on. 40 is a little, <laughs> that's a little longer. Than. I, All right, I, um, I, I had my, I, I, I don't want to tell you when my first internship was. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk very briefly, and this is tangentially related i think that's the right way to say that word tangentially tangentially thank you i'm not good it's like it's like like tangerine there was an article in the wall street journal today in the commentary uh that i want to point people to and we'll throw into the show notes title was soviet politics american style it was by a gentleman named david satter who um according to his byline is the author of a book called age of delirium the decline of the fall and fall of the Soviet Union is a member of the advisory board of the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. And based on both the article and some of his history, he knows a little bit about what he's talking about. The, the, the gist of the article is, is that um, since the fall of the Soviet Union, um, we have, we have sort of slowly, uh, creeped into a version, um, a, a similar version. Um, and, and what he talks about is how that the, the media has basically a- adopted Soviet practices of filling out narratives instead of reporting the news. And I'll give you a, he, he points out that in August, 2016, a guy named Jim Rutenberg media columnist for the New York Times wrote that sure. journalists believed that Mr. Trump was a quote demagogue playing to the nation's worst racist and nationalist tendencies that it was necessary to quote throw out the textbook of American journalism. The Times started to characterize Mr. Trump's statements as lies in the news and suppress news that worked to Mr. Trump's advantage. Um, the Times also advanced, and you you wrote about this, an ideological account of U.S. history, according to which the American Revolution was undertaken to defend slavery and promoted it over the objections of historians and the paper's own fact checkers. <laughs> so control of the coverage uh, was one of the pillars of the Soviet Union's 
means to to confirm their ideology. And he goes on to say that basically the Soviet Union is dead, but its ghost wanders an unsettled world. And he pulls a quote from Gorbachev when he began the reforms that killed the Soviet Union. He said, we're going to do something terrible to you. We're going to deprive you of an enemy. 29 years later, it's clear he was right, uh, Satter writes. Without the ideological challenge of the Soviet Union, we have become immersed in internal conflicts and have made an ideology out of them. So I thought this article was really poignant um, and, and basically like kind of lays out what we're, what's going on here. This wokeness, this, you know, the fact that Trump exposed all this, this, you know, in the news, the fact that, that Trump actually exacerbated this in the media and the fact that we don't, we don't have an, a common enemy. Right. And so we've sort of replaced this communism, yeah. this fight against communism with sort of ideology, uh, battle, a war over ideology in this, within this country. Yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm sensitive to that. I could see that. The, um, you know, the, the only thing that the only thing, and I didn't read it, but the only thing I think that that's not quite um, complete on, right. Is that, is that the, one of the geniuses of America is uh, we let everybody talk. Um, and that means over time, everything gets said, right. Um, and, you know, the media, and we say the media, like, like, you know, we should probably be more precise. The legacy media is um, overwhelmingly um, left and not even that so much as they're overwhelmingly embedded into the status quo, right? They have a, they have a, a, a persistent prevailing preference for the way things were when they were whatever, you know, um, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whenever they think the world should have been frozen in place, right? Um, and that colors their, that colors their, co their coverage of, of um, every Republican, but Mr. Trump is an especially um, tough version of it, right, for them. Um, you know, the great thing is, though, very few people now consume media just from the legacy just from the legacy media, right? They, they get it from a bunch of different sources. Sometimes you're not even aware of the sources they get it from. So I'm not worried about that. The, the creation of, of warring ideological camps, I'm a little more concerned about, but truthfully, and this is a terrible thing to say, but it's the truth. Um, the contest of ideologies tends to be much more um, severe in places that are um, legacy places and by that I mean the Northeast and California right you 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 wander out into America and the ideological conflicts are muted by long-standing ties of community religion family um, all kinds of things right it is it is it is in places that are most political that it's most problematic yeah but I think there's a couple points to what you said first New York Times as as much as we don't want to admit they do have tremendous influence because a lot of other article, a lot of other uh, journalistic outfits. Sure. Key off of them. And it, sure. it's safe for them 
according to the New York Times, right, it, it becomes easy for them to wade into this mess in this yeah. moral soup. The other thing is, um, well, well, let me. Let me Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, well, I was oh, just going to say, you know, we 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 are we are facing a, you know, we're facing a pretty traditional problem, right? We have a we have a industry where there's one great big giant actor who dominates, um, and it's going to take a generation or two to get those guys down to size. It's tough to remember now, but um, copy machines used to be owned by Xerox, right? And now nobody uses copy machines that much anymore. And if they are, they're Konica, and there's this, there's that, and the other thing. IBM's another example, right? Even Microsoft, right? Um, you know, it 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 takes a while to bust up a monopoly, as I guess what I'm saying. Anyway, you were going to say something. So second thing. Well, the only other thing I was going to say is, is I agree with you that these pockets, but these pockets are having, they are, are bleeding, into the the rest of the country, yeah. as you described, right, with their politics and their policies. The fact that the California has a, a big influence over the auto industry, for example, in our space and and everything else. And, you know, when these <laughs> Texas is celebrating these companies moving to Texas from California, but let me tell you, the people who, who own yeah. these companies aren't going to change their ideological perspective simply because they moved to the, to the, you know, great state of Texas. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm super sensitive to that. Right. And to my mind, that's the, the tricky part of the next um, generation is going to be to make sure the disease does the disease does not in fact spread um, from where it is now. Right. Um, And the, this is also a terrible thing to say, but the legacy media, seems to have an interest in spreading the discontent right they they like narratives well all media likes conflict narratives it's what they sell right um but the legacy media seems to like ideological conflict better than anything else and you know they don't they do not like and do not approve of anything that moderates those conflicts they don't like they do nothing to support the family unit. They do nothing to support faith. They do nothing to support communities, right? Um, so, and I don't mean individuals. I mean those organizations, right? The media organizations, individuals within them. Um, I know are are um, some are perfectly wonderful people. Some are perfectly terrible people. But as organizations, they don't really help any of those operations. Yeah. I agree. I mean individuals. I mean I. I judge each individual by their con- their character and their you know I don't I don't look at but this is the point of this article too is you know uh, if you're a Trump supporter I can't be your friend anymore. That's right. That's right. That's what's it, it, going on with the. That's what's going but, on with all of this. Yeah, but you know, or, you tend- or on the other side, if you don't, if if you. I don't, you know, African American. I don't want your your sympathy. I want you to di- give money to BLM. Yeah, the the right. um the media, the legacy media, has got itself a rooted interest in a rooting interest in conflict, and um, you know that means they 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 like to stir the pot and the all those mediating things like I said, faith and family, culture and neighborhood, community, all that stuff. Um, they don't like any of that stuff because it helps mediate the conflict. They don't they don't like it. Just to wrap up this uh, conversation, just to close from this opinion piece, um, he writes uh, 
Francis Fukuyama, in his 1989 essay, The End of History, said that Marxism-Leninism was doomed as an alternative to liberal democracy. I, the author, argued at the time that the drive to make a religion out of politics had not disappeared. The real danger is the transformation of tolerance into an ideology with its own courts, informers, and punishments, all of them reminiscent of the Soviet Union. So I'm not as worried about the AOCs of the world with, with their no, overt I, socialism and, and wanting to do, you know, tra trans fundamental transformation. You know, you I worry more about the Great Reset and the Build Back Better business than you do. I, I'm not as worried about that. I'm worried about this. I'm worried yeah, about it, the, it, I'm the cultural aspects of this. That's right. Politics, you know, as, as Andrew Breitbart pointed out, um, politics is downstream of culture. I well remember Fukuyama's 1989 essay, right? Um, it was controversial at the time. He was a professor out of George Mason for a time. I think he still is, right? Um, I ran across him a couple of times. Um, what guys like Fukuyama don't understand and guys like Satter, is that his name, do understand is, is that the political part, once, once human beings become purely political animals, once that all there is, um, you're already a communist. You're just now trying to figure out like how to structure the communist um, collective. Um, there was a great line, you know, once religion no longer exists, right? You're, you're just on a real short road to bad situations. There was a great line in um, Dr. Zhivago, the movie and the book, the lines in the book too, where a newly empowered um, Soviet, you know, Bolshevik, a commander is explaining to Omar Sharif, who plays a doctor, right? Explaining to Omar Sharif how the world is. And he simply, because Sharif had been um, the, the Bolsheviks commander's uh, uh, wife, had been Sharif's patient. And Sharif asked about her, and he had the Bolsheviks seen her. And the Bolshevik looked at him and said, In Russia, the personal is dead, the political is all there is. And that's the way it is, right? Once, once you become strictly a political unit, it, it, the rest of it's chit chat. Which is why folks like Casey Cortez are pretty refreshing, right? Because they um, argue from a position of morality. If you think about it, they don't argue about the, the historical dialectic. They argue that what we want you to do is morally correct, and that you can live with because that you can talk about right there you go again with that aoc crush man <laughs> <laughs> i mean i give her a little bit of credit but you know i'm not swooning quite yet so yeah i, I get it i get it so joe biden was um speaking candidly to and how this leaked god knows right quote unquote you know <clears throat> but he apparently was chatting with a group of civil rights leaders on the left, because I, I want to distinguish those two things. And it got a little heated. Apparently, Biden uh, didn't necessarily buy that he was not the uh, savior that these folks... <laughs> <laughs> that these folks... Uh, um, think that he is or, or 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 so anyway i'll play a clip and then we can unpack it and then there's one other one about executive orders in the constitution but i do 
want to note this is uh, a little bit of the old Biden coming out, so to speak. Hold on. Um, a lot of people in our community are getting a little anxious because they are not seeing enough of the progress they thought they would have seen at this point. Let's not disappoint them and let's not get to a place where voters in Georgia begin to second guess. Okay, let me respond. I, 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 gotta, I gotta go. Let me respond. There's a lot to respond to here. Let's get something straight. You shouldn't be disappointed. What I've done so far is more than anybody else has done this far. Okay, number one. Number two. I mean what I say when I say it. I mean what I say when I say it. I'm the only person who's ever run on three platforms that I was told could not possibly win the election. And I never ceased from it. One was on restoring the soul of this country because of what I saw happen in Charlottesville. That was it. No one else was talking about it. The words of presidents matter. Nobody else. No progressive was talking about it. I did. All right. So, first of all, <laughs> that was completely, ba- as we have said, that was completely based on a lie. So, maybe he's saying that no other president, no other candidate ran on a bold faced lie. But I'll set that one aside. Uh, it was classic Biden, right? Like street brawler, like. You know, if you don't agree with me, you know, sit down. So I'm saving the nation's soul, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and there was another clip I want to play from the uh from that zoom. He's he's just an angry, he's an angry dude, like returning soup in a deli. It's just awesome. <laughs> I'm the guy. What the hell's wrong with you? Didn't you get the memo? All right, here's the here's the second one. And and then I want to talk about the strategic leak here. So and so there's some things that I'm going to be able to do by executive order. I'm not going to hesitate to do it. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to do what used to, Anita, you probably used to get angry with me during the debates when you'd have some of the people you were supporting said, on day one, I'm going to executive order to do this. Not within the constitutional authority. I am not going to violate the Constitution executive authority that my progressive friends talk about is way beyond the bounds. And as one of you said, maybe you remember now, whether it's far left or far right, there is a constitution. It's our only hope, our only hope. And the way to deal with it is where I have executive authority, I will use it to undo every single damn thing this guy's done by executive authority. But I'm not going to exercise executive authority where it's questioned, where I can come along and say, I can do away with assault weapons. There's no executive authority to do away with that. All right. Ah, wow. That's interesting. Okay. Well, there's another section, too. I won't, I won't play it. But he basically was saying that, uh, you know, this whole defund the police thing is really dumb. It killed us here and there and the other. And it doesn't make sense to talk about that stuff before Georgia. So I think that, uh, and I don't know if I should say this because then it opens up a whole can of worms, but this was, a, this was a deliberate leak to try to stave off fears in Georgia, in my view. Yeah. Um, the, the, the fact that he's going after these guys and you know this and that, I, I just, I don't buy anything other than this is a Georgia Senate recount play in my it's- view. 
it's possible. It's it's equally possible that he um it's equally possible that he is sending a message to everybody that, hey, look, I'm you know, these guys who I'm picking to work for me in the White House, these guys I'm these cabinet guys I'm picking, um, they're all centrists for a reason. Well, centrist isn't quite the right word. They are all um lukewarmers for a reason, right? Because I'm a lukewarmer. I'm not gonna, I am not going to invoke the Defense Production Act to do whatever I want. I'm not gonna invoke some national emergency to do whatever you want. I'm not doing any of that stuff. Um the thing that strikes me as odd about it is, you know, normally I'd be like, okay, he's gonna he's gonna try to, you know govern as a moderate in anticipation of running in 2024 but i don't think he's going to run in 2024 so i'm not sure what he's thinking here it 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 colors the whole conversation right um it it, maybe you're right maybe it has ulterior motives other than the ones i'm seeing well i don't know if i think there's a happy medium here mike because i think that the i think that it's it is biden it's who he is Right. He's an opportunist. He's never been anything other than that. He's not particularly uh, it was never a particularly, um, you know, astute legislator. He, he went wherever the wind blew. Right. And, and he did it forcefully and aggressively with his boxing gloves. Right. I mean, the whole the whole Clarence Thomas thing is a perfect example of that. Yep. Right? The crime bill, you know, uh, now he's, you know, he's ran around that that being his legacy piece of legislation um and spent the better part of the year just systematically disavowing himself of any anything to do with the darn thing so um i think you're right but i also think that it was whoever leaked it was looking at it from from the from a lens of trying to help yeah dissuade or assuage yeah don't be don't be afraid of this guy he's not crazy right so you can give me the senate I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna blow up the whole thing. So anyway, I just thought that was an interesting uh, it is, it is, it's leaked, very interesting. Leaked memo shared, or leaked zoom, shared, shared zoom from the uh, and the, the 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 it was Reverend Al and the whole gang were there that he was talking to. So I ga- I gathered that's who that was, right? It, you know, I've done more for you folks than anybody else since Lincoln. That okay. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I have an article that I forgot to bring up on our last um, our last uh, unregulated podcast. It was from an outfit called Bloomberg Green, because, of course, what else, right? But it was interesting because it was a long article, and the, the reporter actually did some research and actually pierced actually took on the nature conservancy uh which yeah. as you know is the big daddy uh of all the organizations and the model for this sort of new corporatist relationship with with the green groups right the the sort of big corporations and big green kind of teaming up together to you know help each other basically give themselves um cover and we're not public and we're not we're not doing anything. We're just buying land and saving it. That's all. Yeah. So they they talk about the fact that they run this big outfit to do carbon offsets, and some of the biggest biggest sort of consumers of this product, quote unquote, are Walt Disney, BlackRock, um, Delta Airlines, 
you name it, right? All the big dogs. But basically what they're doing, um, JP Morgan uh, is another one. What they're doing is, is Nature Conservancy looks for areas where they can sort of quote, uh, you know, create an offset project for these companies. So Delta does all this marketing about how they're carbon neutral or this and that and the other. They basically pay TNC to quote unquote offset their carbon footprint by teaming up with um, organizations that do conservation and whatnot. But the, the article points out that for the most part, or at least for a substantial chunk of these quote unquote offset projects, there's no offsetting happening whatsoever. That they're basically teaming up with organizations that already have in their charter a, a, a you know, as a nonprofit, if it's in your charter, that's, that's how you're getting your donations to conserve and preserve these areas. Yeah. Um, and their excuse is, of course, and uh, we have a quote here from the chief external affairs officer, um, a woman by the name of Lynn Scarlett. Lynn Scarlett, ladies and gentlemen, former Republican appointee in the Bush administration. The Conservancy defends its carbon offset projects, saying that all adhere to, quote, peer-reviewed methodologies developed by independent registries and that each project is validated by third-party auditors, blah, 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 blah. Garbage in, garbage out. Sure. Well, if you notice, if you notice what 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 our good friend Lynn didn't say was, yeah, this article is totally wrong. Um, or hey, the author's the author's main point, which is that this whole thing is a bit of a shell game or you know three card Monty, is wrong. All she said is, hey, we validate all our projects and we get third parties to look at them, and that everything's fine. Go nothing to see here. Go back to there's, sleep. There's absolutely no. We've talked about this briefly. There's absolutely no uniform sort of, it's like, there's they're, no, they're it's like lead, right? It's like lead certified buildings. Like there's nothing that yeah, like yeah. you could do. You, you and I should start a carbon offset business because we can do it easily tomorrow. Yeah. Right. It, 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 it um, I mean, I'm I planted two trees in my yard. Carbon offset, baby. Back. They carbon have grown offset. substantially. In those years, I've taken tender care of them. There is a carbon offset market. Carbon right offset. There. Um, this is a quote from a um, a lecturer at Stanford and policy director at Carbon Plan, a nonprofit that analyzes climate solutions. For the credits to be real, the payments need to induce the environmental benefit. If the conservancy is enrolling landowners who had no intention of cutting their trees, he adds, they're engaged in the business of creating fake carbon offsets. Yeah. JP Morgan, BlackRock, all these virtue signaling woke corporations are running around telling us how green they are and how amazing they are and how you should do the same. Shut up and do your job. They're basically just playing along here. Just playing along. Yeah. So, uh, um, well, I mean, not everybody at J.P. Morgan, not everybody at these companies, right? The, the you know, they got them. what you're saying, though. It's the cult. It's the culture. Right. Well, they got vice presidents of sustainability for sustainability and social responsibility or something like that. Right. And so, you know, CEO, you know, calls up the vice president every once in a while and says, hey, how we're doing and how are we doing down there? 
you know, Jimmy. And Jimmy's like, yeah, hey, fine. I got plenty of carbon offsets. Everything's cool. Thanks for asking, boss. He's like, All right, let me know if you need anything. Hangs up the phone, right? That's it. That's the extent of the conversation. Because the CEO wants to, you know, he's going to Davos next week or whatever. He wants to make sure, hey, man, I'm killing it. So the thing I, the thing I, I'm a, first off, I'm surprised the story ran. I'm, I'm always grateful to my friends at Bloomberg for trying to inject some facts into conversations. Um, I, I really want people like this is a long read, and I want people, I read it. It wasn't that I want, long, but in today's world, it's a long read. But there's a lot more in the article, and I don't we we don't have time to get into. But I really need people to read it because that it gives you an it, it gives you a very clear picture of the corporatization. Yeah, I mean the, of the, this whole movement. Yeah, I mean the the thing is, I mean, look, the Nature Conservancy is particularly. Um, is particularly interesting, right? Because it's, it's, it is, it is the home base of the rich folks in this movement, right? Um, You know, it's, it's, it's where a lot of environmental donors go. It's the gateway drug for a lot of environmental donors. The conversation about offsets is really interesting because there's only two kinds of people in the movement, right? There's people who know that the offsets are a racket, right? And there's people who know that the offsets are a racket and don't care because it, it serves some kind of larger purpose. And, and I don't want to pivot away from the article, but it, it's not, I want just, let me just pivot just a little bit away from the article. It's analogous to our conversation over carbon taxes, right? There's a bunch of people in the environmental movement who understand that all these carbon tax things are rackets, right? Whether it's, you know, carbon, you know, cut, you know, tax and dividend or tax, and we're going to get rid of regulations, all this stuff. A bunch of people realize, okay, anything involving the word tax is going to is going to necessitate the involvement of guys like Goldman Sachs and people who are trying to figure out a way to make money on it, right? And then there's a much smaller group who's like, yeah, I know that, but I don't care, and I don't know how the environmentalists solve this problem amongst themselves, but it's a huge problem between their grassroots and the leadership. Leadership doesn't care. Grassroots are like, that seems like a racket. Yeah, it is a racket. Go along with that thought because you're you're in the right direction. And you know, I I, I think it's why we've never had a, a vote on a carbon tax um in the Congress, right? Because I think the, the, there would be lots of cards and letters to Senate Democrats and House Democrats saying, don't vote for this piece of junk. But maybe I'm wrong. Where's the end game on all this? Uh we get through the next couple of years, maybe the midterms. I don't know if this house flips. It it seems like it would. It seems like it'd be impossible. Even the I don't think even the Republicans could screw it up so badly uh, that you, you don't know, see the house flip. But I've been wrong before about that. Well, so uh, that's a theory. That's a theory I'm working under until this until this thing was constructed. This this Corona bus was constructed, um, and now I'm starting to seriously wonder because there's a bunch of Republicans who voted for it president vetoes it there's gonna be a bunch of republicans who vote to uphold the veto because they're gonna want to get right on the issue right they're not gonna wander want to wander into 2022 with with trump like just on them all the time about it massive that's a massive vote shift i I don't know what the final numbers were but they were not anywhere it was like to sustain a veto it was like 360 to 60 
Yeah. I mean, ballpark. I think it was three fifty nine to sixty or something like that, right? Three sixty to sixty, right? Um, you would you would need yeah you need about ninety guys to change their mind. Um, so what happens if he vetoes? They vote to override. They don't override. They do a CR until January, February, and then and then start this March. whole ball game over. March, I think. Yeah, March. And then the Repub- so so basically the, the only way to to prevent this thing from happening is what you just described. Yeah, is that Trump shames these guys into switching their vote, yeah, and then all of a sudden assume that um, McConnell gets his two Georgians, then he becomes Mister, you know, fiscal wall again. All of a sudden, right? I, I think McConnell. I think McConnell. I think McConnell. I don't think the nine hundred billion is a bad idea. I don't think McConnell thinks it's a bad idea, but the idea that you're going to give it away to a bunch of people, not the not taxpayers, is ridiculous. And that's, you know, we come back in March and do this. We're going to have checks for 2,500 bucks to people or 2000 or whatever. That's going to be the main part of it. Not the tag part of it. Like it is now. Well, I, anyway, I'm sorry. And where we're veering the back off course, but I want to close this out. That is realistically the only way you, I mean, if they do a CR for the year, then there's no, then this budget doesn't happen. So no, 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 no. We're, we're, you know, I think I, this thing's going to go together. It's just like it's together now, stimulus and omnibus. It goes together. It, it's either going to go together or fail together. They can't peel it off and say, ah, we're just going to do the omnibus at this point. That, it's too late for that now. Okay. We, we, I was talking more long-term, but I got, I know, I know you were, I know you were. And, 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 and well, I just wanted, I just wanted to, you know, I, I I'm starting to push back on this narrative that the Republicans are going to win in 2022 because that's completely dependent on what they actually do. And if this is the first this, act, this is the first act, uh, right? Sorry, to, to you know, jinx, right? But I'm I'm totally with you on right. this. Right, and that's they that, just they screwed up so bad in this with this process. It it screwed it, up so bad. It started off promising and ended up terrible. Um. So, anyway, long story short, long the, the long game for the environmentalists is they're gonna they're gonna try to get some kind of national commitment to reduce emissions and then leverage everything off that. And whether that exists as an NDC to Paris or a separate thing, an executive order or something, something they can hang their hands on that they can then leverage either legislatively or judicially to get the programs they want in place. And they're probably, we're never going to have a clean vote on it anywhere in the United States Congress. It'll just be a debt. It'd be a emission cuts by a thousand cuts. That's right. You know, I'll give you an I'll give you a precise analogy that's already happening this way. In Massachusetts, four or five years ago, they passed something called AB fifty. AB fifty? I think it was AB fifty. Maybe it's HB fifty. Anyway, um, it set a goal. It set a net zero goal for for Massachusetts, and nobody thought about it at the time. Everyone's like, "Yeah, it's a free vote." Uh huh. Well, in the last five or six years, it turns out, hey, it wasn't a free vote. Wait, what do you mean? You mean kind of like that sense of Congress that they put into the, the, <laughs> the bill that uh, it's a goal? Yeah, you or know, if, if you're going to achieve this particular goal, you need to you need to start doing X, Y, and Z. That I was told by Republican staffers was completely meaningless and had no effect whatsoever. And yeah. so what are you stressing about? Yeah. So hmm. so it's it's worth pointing out that Congressman Frank Lucas once again put that provision in. And refused to strike it despite the despite the requests from Senator McConnell and Senator Barrasso to strike it, and keep saying it's harmless. Well, if it's harmless, why shouldn't we strike it? That's Frank Lucas, ladies and gentlemen, from Oklahoma. Um, in case you want to send your cards and letters to a particular place, he's a Republican, sort of. 
and he's on our list. So we have a precise analogy in Massachusetts, right? And you saw the Transportation Climate Initiative came out yesterday. I was just going to bring that up. In, in an incredibly, an incredible display of <laughs> nobody wants to play along with raising right. gas taxes. What do you got? <laughs> Massachusetts, we start DC, Connecticut. Yeah, like, like, and Rhode like Island. Regional, That's it. The, the, That's the, it. The, the, the entire northeastern <laughs> swath is gonna come in and send a message to the country that we've got to raise gas taxes to save the planet. And boom, they got okay. This, this governor from Massachusetts is probably this might be the signature issue uh, in that Charlie. game. Charlie Baker is an interesting person, but a terrible governor. Um, and I'll uh, be I'll be buying my gasoline in rural Virginia and rural Maryland. Uh, I, I, I would say this, right? And this is this is this is relevant, right? This thing, this failure of the Transportation Climate Initiative in the Northeast, much more important than anything that happened in Congress recently, right? Because it was a hard test of climate stuff. And, you know, willingness to do anything that looks like the next step on climate. And everybody backed out. Everybody backed out. The only reason Massachusetts didn't back out is because they're stuck with this stupid law. And now, you know, this is the only way to get to where they're going. And of course, a normal Commonwealth like Virginia or Pennsylvania would look at the law and say, maybe we need to change the law. But no, Massachusetts is like, yeah, we know this law is hopeless, but we're going to yeah. keep grinding their way at it. Well, I think they're, you know, but the other thing here is, is they, they may could, you know, it's like Reggie and some others. I mean, Jersey was in, Jersey was out. So maybe they'll. Well, they're going to keep grinding away. They'll at keep it. grinding away at it, but sure. we'll just have to keep grinding the, the, away at it as well. So the important difference is, is that Reggie um, was saved by natural gas, right? So all the coal plants, you retire them out, you build natural gas plants. Nobody sees, you know, nobody suffers any economic damage. Totally different in the in the transportation space. You know, the, the there's no substitute for gas. Right. There's no, they're not going to be a substitute for gasoline anytime in our probably in our lifetimes. Certainly in mine. That means one, that's one area that did not get their Christmas bonus this year was the EV expansion. At least that didn't make <laughs> it into the monstrosity. So you're you know it's a it we we. We may have put enough stink on that last year. That it, it, <laughs> yeah, no, our, our our big wins are like, oh, what didn't the Greens get this year? Well, so. Um, so anyway, it, it I looked at that transportation climate initiative. I thought that's the actual story here. That that when 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 really confronted with imposing costs on people, everybody blinked. Everybody blinked except for Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. And I'll tell and you, DC. Right, yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll tell you right now. By the time it's all over. <laughs> Connecticut, Rhode Island are going to be out too. I can just feel it coming. By the way, um, I saw an article in ENE, I think it was, that um, a couple of environmental groups filed suit on the transmission line that they're trying to build to bring uh, hydropower from Canada. Which one? To the Northeast. I, it, I know it was is, is it the Sierra one Club. It was a Sierra Club and a local one. No, no, no. I mean, was the line through New Hampshire or through New York? Oh. Don't quote me. It might have been the New Hampshire one. Okay, it doesn't. But the point two is, ones. is that, yeah. as you recall from a few episodes back, we talked about the net zero in the Northeast and what yeah, it would sure. take, including yeah. massive amounts of transmission, yeah, from Canada to bring the hydro yeah. in, which the Greens, some of the Greens at least, are are opposing. So, sure. Uh, well, 
I love these little ironies uh, well, amongst the amongst that crowd. Let me. Can I add one thing to that? So our bestest new friend Brenda Mallory at the the CEQ, um, she announced she gave a little speech or something in in this, in her rollout. I guess yesterday or Friday or whenever it was in the rollout. She said she looked forward to getting rid of um, President Trump's NEPA reforms and making NEPA more vigorous with respect to climate change impacts and a couple other things. And I thought to myself, well, so much for building, so much for building, you know, 160% of the transmission or so much for building an an amount equivalent to 60% of our existing transmission grid in the next 10 years. Because if you're going to make NEPA more stringent than it is, your chances of permitting stuff in a timely fashion goes from remote to zero pretty quickly. Um, and, and you, nobody, nobody, not e not anybody sort of wrote that story. Um, and I didn't pitch it either. I was just like, that was the most interesting, again, probably more interesting than anybody, anything anybody in Congress did on, on climate change was Brenda Mallory's announcement that, all oh, you guys were counting on stuff getting built like transmission and solar plants and, you know, Wind farms, forget it. I'm going to make it tough to permit. Yeah, there's one other thing. Did you know that they shoved a uh, provision in there that gave FERC some office of public? Yeah, participation. participation. Yeah, yeah. Greens are loving this. They said this has been a high priority of theirs. But what? Why? What would stop us from utilizing that office just as effectively as? Not a single thing. And actually, um, you know, this, 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 this idea was well, um, you know. I may have had something to do with this idea um, because, you know, what, what there isn't at FERC is a helpline. Um, and, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but in a lot of cases, regulated industry can't call up and say, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. You know, is it licit? Is it legal? Or I want to do this. How do I do it in a way that that's, you know, stays in bounds. Right. You know, so they tend to do stuff and then, get boomed later or don't get boomed later. So we've been wanting to have something like this, a helpline for a while. This Office of Public Participation, this is exactly what it could be and should be, right? It should be a helpline for the regulated community. So yeah, but the, I mean, the left, the Greens see it as a way to flood the zone with their, you know. They already do. They already put a bunch of meaningless stuff on the docket. The, the tricky thing about FERC is, and it's sort of analogous to life, right? Um, you actually have to know something to participate and my limited experience with the environmental groups is, is that few of them are willing to take the time to learn enough about FERC to be truly effective. I will say that um, the one person who did um, is now a FERC commissioner, right? Allison Clement, right? She, she um, took the time. Followed me on Twitter, by the way. Good. She followed me too. She, you know, she took the time to learn about FERC, ran sustainable NRDC, or ran sustainable FERC at NRDC. And, you know, uh, is going to be a, a a really good commissioner. By um, the way, uh, and the funny thing is, I bet you fully half of her rulings are going to annoy the hell out of her friends on the green side. By the way, there's been rumors that she might jump Glick for chairmanship. Just uh, threw that out there for for all you FERC geeks out there. So I have no idea who started those rumors. Um, all right, so how are we doing? Are you uh, are you settled in at your at your Richmond headquarters for Christmas. What do you, what, what's the plan? I'm, in the I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. Everything's wrapped. Everything's delivered, wrapped. 
Um, the oven broke yesterday, so cookies are going to be delayed. Um, oh my! You got an emergency stove coming in, or what? No, not really. It doesn't. But you better really. not. You better make it electric. You might as well get ahead of the curve because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, it is. It is in fact gas powered. You know, no more natural gas in our homes, man. That stuff's. That's. It is in fact a gas stove. Everyone's going to want to read my column coming out tomorrow on. Um, you know, Monday. Yeah, Monday coming out on Monday about California and um, its electrification. I look forward to that. And uh, Wall Street Journal got in on the on the act. Uh, must I have saw heard that. a podcast about the Cal the the Calpaw, the the public advocate thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, one of our colleagues has been doing exemplary work in alerting people to that. I'll just say it that way, right? Um, we're we're ready to we're, go here. It's we're talking we're talking to you, Frank Mazzano. We're ready to go in the pile household. Um, it's going to be a, a smaller Christmas this year, just us, I think, in the morning, and then we might uh, go over the river and through the woods to my in-laws' house. We'll go for. A little cheer you'll be happy to know we're planning on doing a feast of the seven fishes for uh christmas eve before we hit the mass very nice we uh well in my in the old days in in my household the entire italian side of the family got together on christmas eve for sausage and peppers so <laughs> not quite the feast of the fishes <laughs> well <laughs> uh now actually i i do want to wish all of our listeners a uh of our deeply disturbed followers we will i think we're coming in between christmas and new year's right should we uh we probably should why not i think we should talk about uh our our wonderful our wonderful christmas day looking forward to um spending time with the kids uh in a non-stressful everyone in school everyone at work way so um and you know it's been a really weird year um for everybody but you know, I'm also, I, I think that there's been some good stuff too. So uh, that's what I'll be thinking about uh, over Christmas is, you know, everyone looks at the at the worst of, of the year, but I'm going to try to pluck those moments out where uh, we really did, you know, spend a, a really, really good quality time together and try to look, look to the positive as we turn the corner here on 2020. So, good. you know, God, God loves us and wants us to be happy. And we don't always we don't always understand how he goes about that, but he always gets there. So, absolutely, sir. Um, one more thing, we got a a, a parting <laughs> a clip of the day. I got a parting <laughs> clip. I think is is really rather. Um, you know what? I'll just play it and let people decide for themselves what they think of it. Here we go. Did you miss you? Did you ever look at something going on in the news and go, you know what the situation needs? I feel Barack Obama. (laughs) (laughs) I've said this before. uh, People would ask me, knowing what you know now, do you wish like you had a a, a third term? Um, And I I used to say, you know what? If if I could make an arrangement where... um, I had a, I had a, a stand-in, a front man or front woman, and, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats mm-hmm. looking through the stuff, and then I could sort of deliver the lines, but somebody else was uh, doing all the talking and ceremony. Wow. I, I'd be fine with that because I found the <laughs> fascinating. 
Holy mackerel. <laughs> That's what he's got. <laughs> Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, everyone. Merry Christmas. The Unregulated Podcast signing off for the day. <laughs> Thank you.